My name is Josh. If you're new to MBC, I'm, I'm the worship pastor here. It's a holiday weekend, so I get to preach, right? It's low risk, a little risk, low risk. Um, no, um, Pat asked me to preach. I'm, I'm going to talk about prayer. And it's because we're having a week of prayer, actually, together as a church. It's coming in October. Originally, it was going to come, like, next week. So this was, like, the perfect time. But then we moved the date, and so you're just going to have to remember for a month. We'll talk more about that in a, in a moment. About two years ago, about two years ago, I started reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I read it with a friend of mine, Jeremy Rhodes, and him and I started talking about this, and um, it changed my life. And it, because it began to challenge how I think about following Jesus and walking with him, and I thought I was doing pretty good, had a long way to go, but I realized, and I'm, I've come under the conviction that following Jesus is more than knowing what Jesus taught. It's actually living like Jesus lived. And I am the biggest beginner at that ever, right? I'll just tell you right now, a lot of what I'm going to share today, I've learned from others, and I'm a complete novice in, all right? So we're learning together. Um, and the reason that is, I think for me, and maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. Um, I'm not that unique, so I tend to think I am, but I'm not. Um, I know how to have a quiet time. I know how to pray. But like there's just all this chaos inside of me. And it's not just about getting away with God. It's not just about um, quiet out here. It's about quiet inside. And I have a hard time being at rest in my soul. Um, so yeah, I got one nod. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to go through this together. It's going to be awesome. Um, Jesus teaches, right? Okay. We're going to start in Mark 1. All right. Mark 1. Open your Bibles, if you don't mind. If you're new to the Bible, there are four Gospels. They are the beginning of what's called the New Testament. They're to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we're going to end in Matthew 6, but we're going to start in Mark 1. And this is what it says in verse 9. Okay, so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. And once you're there, I'll give you just a moment. I'll take a sip of water if you don't mind. <clears throat> it says this. Now I'm reading from the ESV. This is the Bible I used in college. Um, I like reading from the NLT. You might have a different translation, but we're reading from the ESV today. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, Luke says in his gospel, that the Spirit comes and not just falls on him, but remains on him. So the idea is this. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. It's Jesus' cousin, actually. It's the guy who God sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for him in the world. His ministry, his work, his life. And he gets baptized, and the Father announces, like from heaven, I love this guy, and I accept him. I'm pleased with him. The Spirit comes and it stays with him. And there's no, I would think, let's go. That's a good start. Right? Let's do some stuff. Let's do some Jesus stuff right now. 
I got, and, but the Spirit's like, nah. And the next verse it says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, which doesn't really matter, but I think it's interesting. And the angels were ministering to him. So the first thing that Jesus does on day one of ministry is take a 40-day sabbatical, okay? How would you like to start ministry that way? It's pretty, pretty nice. New job, what are you doing? Let's start, let's just take a vacation for 40 days, okay? But this wasn't really a vacation. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and Jesus is fasting and praying for 40 days, and we kind of know from the other Gospels, it says he's being tempted by Satan during that whole time. He's dealing with wild animals. He's got angels ministering to him. And we know it comes at the very end. There's a showdown at, at the end of these 40 days, right? The devil is tempting him hard. And he does not give in, but he wins. He successfully resists the temptations of the devil. And then he goes out and starts proclaiming the gospel, right? We know the story. And most of my life, I have thought, that makes sense to me. Jesus is God. He's fully God. He's fully man. If he's going to have a showdown with the devil, it definitely has to be when he's at his weakest point in life where he has not eaten for 40 days. I would be pretty weak after that. And I had this view that Jesus, to just make it fair, like Satan is just a created being, right? So it's kind of fair because Jesus is super hungry. And uh, John Mark in his book began to challenge the idea for me. And what if Jesus isn't at his weakest, but what if he's actually at his strongest? Now, he's physically tired, and he's hungry. But what if he's at his strongest because he's just spent 40 days with God? Okay, began to challenge the way I think. Now, after this, Jesus starts to do all the Jesus things that you would think he would do. He goes, he calls some disciples to himself. He, be, he begins to teach. People are like, whoa, your teaching's amazing. Like, who, like, who, where'd you come from? This guy's awesome. He heals Peter's mom. Some of you are like, oh, no way. I saw that on The Chosen. That was awesome. Um, it's in the Bible, too. Um, he heals Peter's mom. He heals all these people. And go forward to verse... 35, same chapter, we're only 35 verses in, the Gospel of Mark, and it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach here also, for that is why I came out. And he went through... Out all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, first, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Very, this part I don't like. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Does anyone like sleep here? Right? There's like a number of proverbs that talk about how you shouldn't love sleep. I did not look them up before this message. I did not want, we're going to, Dan Fletcher's going to tell me them all afterward, and I can, I'm going to wait to be convicted till then. But no, Jesus gets up so early, and this is where, where he goes. It says, he departed and went out to, my, my translation says, desolate place. 
Now, that word desolate place is aramis, is the translated rule. Can you say that with me? Aramis? Very good. Um, you speak transliterated Greek. That's really good. Uh, it means a quiet place, desolate place, lonely place. It's actually the same word that's used for wilderness, just like 15, 20 verses earlier. So what happens? What do you see? Jesus, pretty early on in his ministry, goes right back to the wilderness. Okay, I would think, like all the messages I've heard preached on the wilderness are like, that stinks, but God's with you, and he's going to help you overcome, and let's like, never go back there, because it's the wilderness. There's wild animals there. Um, Jesus goes and finds a desolate place. Place. And this is, this is what's really interesting. The disciple, he doesn't tell the disciples, which is awesome. Can you imagine if your kids were, like, you put them down to bed and then you just went somewhere in the morning and you're just like, they'll find me eventually. It's like hide and seek, only dangerous, right? Um, so his disciple, everyone's looking for him. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been, there's only a few at this point you've been called. You just saw him heal people like preach amazing. You're like, this rocks. This is such a great job. I'm so glad I get to be a part of this. And you find Jesus and you're like, Jesus, where were you? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone. Isn't it great? And Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to leave now. We're going to go. And Jesus doesn't give in to the demands or expectations of people. You know why he's able to do that? because he spent time with his father in his presence. He knows who his father is. He knows who he is, and he knows what he's supposed to do. He even says that. He's like, I have to go. I know I'm supposed to go. It's why I came to preach to other places. So that's what he does. Some of you, by the way, some of us, let me say, um, our schedules are totally run by the expectations of others. We live our lives trying to please other people um, or just do the right. That's the right thing to do with my family. I should do all those right things because those are the right things to do. Um, maybe could it be that we just don't know how to pray? If you're stuck there, maybe that's just the simple truth. If you, if you really feel burdened like that and you don't know how to get out of it, could it be maybe that you just don't know how to pray? You don't know how to be with God? Hmm. Okay. Jesus continually goes back to the Aramos all throughout the Gospels. Um, over and over again. He, he finds this quiet place. It's like he needs it he needs, if Jesus needs a quiet time, how much more do we? But Luke 5, I'm not going to read this. You can look it up later. Luke 5, 15 and 16, it says that it was his um, regular, uh, he, he would often do it. He would often find desolate, lonely, quiet places to pray, especially as his fame grows and the crowd is pressing in on him more. Let's go, let's look at another one. Luke 6. Okay, and we're going to start in verse 30. Luke 6, verse 30. Um, now, 
Further on in Jesus' ministry, right, we've, we've skipped a few chapters. He does, he has collected and selected his apostles, his 12, from among those who are following him. And Jesus has sent out the 12 in groups of two to go and do what he did, which is specifically, you read through Luke, uh, or Mark, sorry, Mark 6. Did I say Luke? I don't know where. Mark 6 is where we're at, by the way. If I said Luke, forgive me. I'm not perfect. All right? I'm not. That's my wife. All right? Mark 6. Sorry. I'm just helping you jump around the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the second one. Okay, Mark 6. Um, so the disciples have left in pairs of twos, and they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're inviting people to believe and repent, and they're healing the sick and casting out demons. They're actually, by six chapters in, they're actually doing the same thing Jesus did when he started his ministry, which is pretty cool. Um, so they're off, and, and then in the chapter, while these guys are, are out and about, John the Baptist is killed by Herod. So he's beheaded and basically murdered, and you could, that's a whole other story we can unpack, but we're not gonna. Jesus' cousin, who prepared the way for him, was murdered. And by the time like we, we get to the end of his, his funeral, his burial, his death, his disciples grab his body, they bury him, Jesus' disciples come back. So Jesus is, is under the weight, I think you might say, of the loss of a cousin, right? He's probably grieving in some way. His disciples are back ready to tell him all that happened, all that was awesome, all that went wrong. And in verse 30 it says, the apostles returned to Jesus. They told him all that they had done and taught, and Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Like, life is so crazy right now, they can't, even, they can't even grab a meal. There's so many people coming and going. Jesus is attending to these people. The disciples just did a, a bunch of work out in the field. He's bearing the grief of his cousin, and he's like, hey, let's go away to a quiet place together and just rest. And um, I think what's so cool about that if I even have my notes, I have no clue where I'm at. Rest, here, listen. Rest is offered in the quiet place with Jesus. And it's not what our culture is selling us. Right? So rest is not a beer and your favorite sports team. It's not all 12 seasons of, I don't know, Star Trek. There's probably 37 seasons of Star Trek. It's not all of those. It's not binge watching Ted Lasso. It's not, all right? Now, there might be some rest involved, but like that doesn't give the kind of soul rest that Jesus offers. And I think about, you know, if, we, if you go just a few chapters ahead, Jesus says, man, if you need rest for your soul, come to me if you're weary. I'll give it to you. Rest comes with Jesus. See, the only way to settle the chaos inside is in the presence of God. That's why Sundays are beautiful. We get a taste of that. We get settled here. But life is crazy, right? We head right back out into the craziness, and it just stirs up. But what we see from Jesus is this rhythm 
where he himself, Jesus, the king of all kings, has to go away with his father, be present with God. So he invites his disciples to go away. They get in a boat. It's crazy. They get in a boat. They, they're on the Sea of Galilee. And before they can get to the other side, the crowd, like people from all these different towns see them. They spot them on the sea, and they, it says they, they just hook, man, they run. They, they ran to the place where they're about to land. And Jesus, they show up on land, and he's got a big crowd already. Right? So Jesus' plan failed. <laughs> it's the only time you ever heard that in a sermon, maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe he knew what, he probably knew what he was doing, okay? <laughs> That's a human perspective, not his. But he lands, and it says that this is what happens. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus takes compassion on them. He begins to teach them. It says until it got pretty late and then they're hungry and then you know what he does? He takes a few loaves and fishes and he feeds them, okay? So talk about like working hard in the midst of like some rest. He fed 5,000 plus people. It's only 5,000 men recorded. There's probably women and children there too. So he's feeding thousands of people. At the end of the day, um, he finally sends them off. He's like, okay, I fed you. By the way, there's some prophetic stuff here in terms of Jesus being like Moses, and you could, we're not going to get into that, but he is definitely like walking, doing exactly what he was meant to do. And it's really interesting because Jesus in chapter one says no to people. Remember that? Where he's like, uh, everyone's looking for you, and he's like, no thanks. I got other stuff to do. And it's like, how do you know, like if you're following Jesus, and you're like, wait, I was just, I was really tracking with that. He said no to people. That was awesome. But, and then we show up here and he says yes and has all this compassion. And I just, you just got my heart going the other direction. How do I know when to say yes and no to people like Jesus? And I would just say, there's no rule. We like rules, but there's no rule because Jesus isn't saying yes to people. He's saying yes to his father. He is so connected to what his father wants. He is so connected to his purpose, his mission, that he is in step with the Holy Spirit. So it's being in step with the Spirit that allows him to say no here and yes over here. Because there isn't a hard and fast rule. Right? And that, we don't like that because this basically means if we're going to live like Jesus, we need to live close to the Spirit in relationship not just walking by rules, but walking with Jesus. That's, that's hard for me, at least. But yeah, so he sends the people off after he feeds them. And um, he sends the disciples back on the boat and sends them off across the, the sea. And then it says Jesus basically climbs a mountain, okay, to hang out with God. If you go to verse 46... And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So what does Jesus do at the end of a long day? Really hard day? 
He's probably still thinking about John. Right, he goes to pray. And the desolate place wasn't desolate enough, right? So he kind of takes that a step further. He's like, okay, uh, they found me in the wilderness. Let's head up the mountain. So he gets smart about it. And he's, but, but at all costs, he gets away. Now, his disciples are on the sea. They're doing what Jesus told them. They're heading to where they're supposed to go. And it says, like, they're having trouble getting to the other side. The sea is kind of like waving. And this is where Jesus walks on water. And then he gets in the boat and calms the sea. So, and it says that his disciples, I mean, they're like, I think it uses the word utterly amazed. I mean, they're just like, what the world? It's not just spiritual stuff. This guy's really good at He can, he has like power over everything. He calmed the whole sea. And I just got to think, if you're a disciple on the boat and it's, it's rocking, you can't get over and you're like, man, I really, where's Jesus? Oh, he's doing his quiet time. Okay, shoot. All right, let's get to the other side. And then, no, he's right there. He's on the water. It's the ghost. No, it's Jesus. And he calms everything. And you got to be thinking, what are you doing in your quiet time? Mine aren't going that well. What? And, and actually, his disciples do ask him that. They say, teach us how to pray. Can you imagine how, why they want to know? They want to be like the rabbi. We're going to, give, we're going to go into that in Matthew 6 in a moment. But just a, a few, just a little stopping point. Um... Some things to think about. Do you have an Eremos place in your life? And I'm not talking about a daily place, but because even for Jesus, it doesn't necessarily say that he daily climbed a mountain, but he regularly did. Do you have a place where you hear from God and you know him? Have you... Done made every effort to secure that if you don't. Like, have you woken up before it was light outside? No one wants to hear that message, right? But it's, come on. Some of you are like, Josh, I have kids. You don't even understand. I'm not going to have a quiet time for 20 years. All right? I don't know. I don't know how to tell you where to find it, but do you have that? Do you, have you, like, counted the cost? Is there a mountain you need to climb to get away? Are you like me and it's just really hard to be still? Some things to maybe help you. First of all, this book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I recommend it to anyone. It's awesome. Helped me see how Jesus lives, how he slows down, how he spends time with God. And it made me, it cultivated in my heart a desire to live like that. So am I a novice? Yes. But do I see it clearer than I did? Absolutely. And how essential it is for the health and well-being of my soul. Uh, Secondly, when you get away with God, do you turn off all your devices? Now we're talking crazy. Right? Do you turn off your phone, your iPad, your watch, your computer, your TV, 
your radio. What else are there? You know, I don't know. There's probably more things. You have two watches. I don't know. Have, have you ever shut out the noise to be still? It, for me, I have to shut everything off. And I'm still like in chaos sometimes. It helps me to journal or pray out loud. Uh, I don't know if those are practices that you use because I can't slow down. So we're talk, what we're talking about is connecting with God, being with God. It's not just about being on a mountain or being in a wilderness. It's, it's, it's getting from God the same things that Jesus did. And it's going to take effort. I heard this great quote from Dallas Willard. He said, the grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Like, you sh- sometimes we get caught up in, like, don't tell me to do something. Jesus did it all. And it's like, yeah, of course he did. And, th- and he invites us to walk with him. And he said, actually, his yoke is easy. But that's only if we do it with him. So, yes, it's not an effort of our flesh, but of the spirit. But does it take work? Absolutely. Does it take effort to live like Jesus lived? Absolutely. Uh, maybe you've tried a quiet time, but it feels like, you know, God doesn't really show up. He's just not there. You read the, ver- you did the things, and it was like, okay, that was cool, but maybe I feel a little better than after I watched TikTok for an hour, but I don't know. And I would just say, do you, ha- it takes time. Do you have an airmost place? Do you have a quiet place you can get away with God? And two, Here's the second one, and then we're going to go here now, Matthew 6. Do you pray like Jesus taught to pray? And I just want to, I want to go to Matthew 6 and just share a few things um, that I'm learning that I see. I'm going to start in verse 5. I'm going to grab a drink of water. All right. He's going to, Jesus is going to say two, two groups you shouldn't be like, and then he's going to say here, and when you pray, this is how you pray. So firstly, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, excuse me, will reward you. Again, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, real quick. Again, prayer, real prayer. Praying like Jesus means getting away to a quiet place with the Father. Okay? First of all. Two, it's not about saying the right words. There are no right words. It's crazy that he says this, by the way, because we're about to go into maybe the most recited word-for-word prayer in all of history. But Jesus himself says it's not about the words. Right? It's about you and the Father. It's about what's behind them. And if you're a leader, there's a warning here. Because if you're really good at praying in public, 
but you don't have a, prior, a private prayer life that matches, that's just like ridiculous. That's not what Jesus is offering. That's not what he taught. Okay. And he says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, I just want to take this phrase by phrase and just say, let's notice a few things together. Okay? Our Father in heaven. Prayer is relationship. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's not getting God to do the things we want him to do. Now, I don't think any of us would say, that's, that's my heart. But sometimes we treat prayer that way. But it's relational. It's being in the presence of the Father. Um, it's being still and knowing God. And that's a good thing. Our souls need that. You know, Jesus, what was the words that he heard from his Father? I love you. I accept you. Like, knowing God, seeing him for who he is allows us to hear from him and see who we are. It writes our view of everything. We have a warped view of the world. So often it's centered on our own thoughts, our own lives, the small things. Like, God wants us to open our view and he says, remember me, how big I am, how awesome I am. Remember who you are. You're my kid. You're my child. I love you. You're okay. When we don't spend time in God's presence, we can't know ourselves well. We, we don't understand his pleasure in us. And we live from a place often to earn or do things in our own strength for our own purposes and that leads to chaos inside here. I mean, be still and know that I'm God. So it starts with our Father in heaven. Seeing God for who he is writes the way that we see everything else. Now, I used to struggle really big with um, people that didn't like me. Like, if someone, especially in ministry, in my last ministry position at church in Elmhurst years ago, um, there were some people that were like, you're awesome. But, like, um, I always saw worship and, and small groups, and uh, one of the things they said was, just don't tell me what to do with my small group, you know? I'm thinking, I'm a pastor here at this church. What? I'm, I'm not just, what? And it, it wrecked, I, I had, I came like this with some people, and it wrecked me so much because I couldn't fathom, how could they not trust me? How could I not, they don't like me, what is going on? How, I don't know, and seriously, my pastor at the time who was um, mentoring me, uh, discipling me, as you would say, he's like, Do you, you need to learn how to rest in the love of the Father. Who cares what anyone else thinks? You need to know that, to rest in who you are in God then you can be free to serve, serve people that disagree with you. I'm like, you're right, how do I, I don't know how to do that. 
And it, it was over years, over years of telling my heart the truth, receiving the truth of the gospel, not just as something to proclaim for other people, but for myself. That over years, God said, yeah, understand who you are. As I began to understand, I began to be free. Now, now it's interesting. I feel like I, I am free from the expectations of others, but I'm less compassionate than I used to be. So now I don't care what you think. <laughs> what? And I got work to do the other way. I'm just like, Jesus, help me to be compassionate. It's hard. But seeing God for who he is helps us see who we are. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Once, once you see God for who he is, you can't help but adore him. Worship follows. Your name is holy. God, you're awesome. It's, it's set apart. It's, there's no one like you, God. Purity, integrity, power, love, joy, peace. It's all you. God, I worship you for who you are. Reveal. You see how this takes time? This, this isn't just like a 30-second moment. For me, at least, this takes a lot of time. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is how I think about that phrase. God, I mean, imagine, and, and the progression, I think, makes sense. Jesus is super smart. Like, God, I've, I've been in your presence. I've seen you for who you are. And I'm like, get here. You're so awesome. I need heaven to invade this world. Do you ever think the world is nuts, crazy, hard, life is hard? It's like, Jesus, get right here in my life. Bring heaven to earth. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your authority. I need what you do in here with me. Your kingdom come. And what follows easily, your will. First of all, these are the first two requests. We're asking now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. First we're asking for God's things, if you notice. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your way right here. Whatever you want, I'm in. You're God. I'm not. Your will be done. Maybe Jesus said it this way, right? Uh, not my will, but your will be done. And then we get to our favorite part of the prayer. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> you see how far along we are before we're asking for the stuff that we need? Now, we ask for the things we need. Jesus tells his disciples to ask. And we should. It's not, okay, God's going to do whatever he wants. He's God. Or what will be, will be. No, it's we run to God with what we need. And how much does he have in abundance for us that we've missed out on just because we haven't asked? He's got so much for us. So he invites his disciples to ask. Now, when I'm asking at that point, if I've seen God for who he is, and I've asked him to invade with his presence, and I've said, your will be done, it's harder to ask for a Lamborghini at that point, right? It's automatically my heart is more aligned with the things of the kingdom, right? It's more aligned with the things that God 
loves and wants. Now, I do have needs, and I, I need to come to my loving Father with them. I need to depend on him. I, I shouldn't be living life in my own strength. But you see how it all impacts each other. Pat says, uh, asking is the means to receiving in God's kingdom. And you might be saying, well, we don't always get what we ask for. And that's true. Um, and actually, that's a good thing in some ways, right? Um, because if I got everything I asked for, I'd be married to a girl named Anne Marie from, uh, since kindergarten because, and this is why I liked her, she was quiet. And I was a smart guy. And she had red hair. At that point, that was exotic to me. I'm like, okay, Lord, this is it. I know what I need. Please give me what I need, right? Thank God that didn't happen, and I got, like, the best wife for me in all of the ages. Right? <clears throat> but when we're praying for things in our life, often it's like that. There's a little bit of stupid and a lot of bit of good intention, and we just don't know. We don't understand what we're asking for. Tim Keller, he kind of, he uses the illustration. He said, it's like um, when your kid your young kid is next to you and you're driving your car and he says, Dad, can I drive? And you're like, uh, no. And in his mind, he doesn't understand why you would withhold that from him. But for his own safety and the safety of many others, right, you don't let him. We don't understand the things of God. Sometimes when God answers he likes to do it exactly how you don't want him to. Um, I remember in college, <clears throat> uh, I was working here at Moraine, actually. I was interning with the youth ministry. I was working at a restaurant. I was going to Moraine Valley Community College full time. Any, any of you going there? It's awesome. Uh, I went to Governor State. I was going to Governor State part time. So I was going to two schools working two jobs. I thought it was really cool, by the way. I would look at all I can do. And uh, I got home from youth group one night. I, and in youth group, I was bringing amps and guitars and instruments back and forth each night. I got home that, that night, and my amps, my guitars, my school books, everything was in my car. Now, I had been praying. I had a junkie car, all right? It was my first car. It was an 87 Oldsmobile. Had a hole in the floor. That part was cool. Um, but when you drove the, the, the wheel, you had to like hold it like this to go straight and with all your strength. It was like arm day every day I got in the car. And um, I remember being like, God, I serve you. I love you. Why do I have this crappy car? <laughs> Don't you love me? What? I was so naive. Um, so anyway, this, this Monday night, I come home from youth group. I, don't even, I, I just remember waking up the next morning, and I still have my shoes and my coat on. And so I, I don't remember how I got into bed. I was that tired. I was running my life ragged. And I woke up, and I was like, oh, no. I left my guitars out overnight, just like temperature-wise. So I run outside. I'm still living at my parents. In my parents' driveway, and my car is gone. Stolen. All my coursework, all my books, everything. I'm like, God, 
we really doubled down here. This is not what I asked for. Right? And it was crazy. God used that. Like, insurance money came in that I didn't even know I had. I didn't even know I had coverage. I told my mom actually to remove. She worked for State Farm in town. I told her to remove the coverage because I couldn't afford it. And she just kept it and didn't tell me. I had people who heard about it and they're like, man, I love your ministry. How can I help you? How can I give to that? And I got a nicer car, a better guitar. Now, it's not about what you get. I was humbled. I was so humbled by how people took care of me, how God took care of me. And I was so angry at God when my car got stolen. I was like, man, you just don't know, Josh. God doesn't always answer the way that we expect him to. Okay, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. At first glance, especially if you keep reading after the prayer, it looks like this is transactional. If I don't forgive, God's not going to forgive me. All right, forgive as you forgive others. Um, And the reality is this. The kind of forgiveness, the kind of prayer Jesus is talking about here is one of repentance. It's one who says, I'm a debtor. I know I sinned. I get it. God, I offended you. And um, I get that you've forgiven me. Some of us are hitting a wall in our prayers, by the way, because we just haven't forgiven someone. And it's, 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 not, it's not allowing us to experience the grace and forgiveness of God in our own life. Some of us are so hurt by the last couple years there's so, so many wounds that, and we don't even know who we're supposed to forgive. We're just angry about the way the world is. We don't even know who to direct it at. So sometimes it comes out at people. Or we, maybe we have, we found that one group that totally doesn't know. It's your fault. Right? Um, repentance is seeing my sin for what it is, how it offends God forsaking it, turning from it, and turning to Jesus in faith. That's what he's saying. And when you realize that, like when you realize how much God has forgiven you, forgiveness rolls out of that. And it's important to Jesus. It's it's part of of who he is. We'll see that in a second. Okay, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'll just say this. There's real evil in the world. We have a real enemy that wants to destroy us. There's real oppression, cruelty, evil, the reality of sin, demonic activity, the work of the enemy, and we need to pray about it. Pray about it. In fact, we've been in Ephesians for like ever. I think that's done now. But like the whole point of putting on all this armor of God and everything to do battle was to pray. Stand firm and pray. So we need to pray. Now, as you go through this and you think about your own prayer life, are there any of these things that are, are void? They're not present. Maybe you're really good at adoration and asking, but the other pieces aren't there. And I would just say, I would invite you, 
maybe it's time to begin to, to allow Jesus to teach you how to pray. Maybe it's time to start including some of this. Can you see how it takes time, though? Like, it's not transactional. It's not just, like, saying the things. Even, like, I think about Philippians 4. It says, don't, when you're anxious, right, don't be anxious for anything, right? But pray with thanksgiving in your heart. Pray. Bring your knees before God, and he'll give you, what, peace that passes all understanding. That is true. That's absolutely true. But it's not transactional. It's not like I showed up, I prayed for 30 seconds, and where's the peace, Jesus? I tried that. It doesn't work. Oh, man, you missed you miss the relationship part. See, Jesus is peace. And you don't, if you don't know him, if you're not with him, you can't receive it from him. He actually wants to give it to you from himself. It takes time. Do you see how if we started praying the way Jesus taught, that it could form what we love? It says, um, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Um, does it say that? Does it say give me this day my daily bread? No. Right? Give us. We're praying for one another as well. Okay, we're running, we're running out of time, so let's close it up. Sorry. Um, Jesus taught this, but he didn't just teach it. He lived it. Do you remember when he was in the garden? And, we, and uh, Ben, you can kind of get ready. Um, when he was in the garden, before going to the cross, what did he do? He prayed. And what did he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. I mean, he, this was Jesus. He didn't just say it, he did it. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Right? Jesus prays like this. And we have a Savior who went to a cross, who bore our sin so that we could be raised to life with him. And that life is to live like he did. He wants to give us his life. He wants you to enjoy a relationship with the Father like he knows the Father. This is the beautiful picture of Ephesians 2 where it says, you're seated at the right hand of God with Jesus, meaning like where Jesus is, his access to God the Father, you have that. It's yours. That's yours. You can know that he loves you. You could be his beloved child. You are that he is pleased with because of Christ. Living like Jesus lived means praying like Jesus prayed, means knowing God like Jesus knew God, means experiencing the reality of God in your life that frees and centers you to again say no to others as you need, say yes to others as you will for the pleasure of the Father, to live a life of purpose and meaning I mean, it's all connected. So, do you have, again, do you have an eremos place, a place where you get away? What's it going to take to get one?